This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. Welcome to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us as Deb talks with her guests, experts in their fields, as they share real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about giving professionals the tools that they need to make themselves and their businesses as successful as possible. And today, I have to tell you, I am absolutely fascinated by this topic. We're going to be talking about leadership and how to be a great leader and how to <clears throat> avoid being a bad leader because, you know, we all have seen people like that. What power is, you know, all of these various things. And so please join me in welcoming Ron Carucci to our program today. Welcome, Ron. Deb, it's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, this really is something that fascinates me. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about a CEO of a multinational corporation or, you know, the small business owner that has one or two employees, the business leader, you know, that, that's leading his chamber of commerce, you know, a committee at church, whatever it is. Leadership skills are tricky little beasts is <laughs> maybe one of the, the easiest ways to put it. And not many people, not a lot of people, a few people, I don't know how to put this, aren't or are actual really good leaders. You know, a lot of people fell into it. A lot of people thought that they were a good leader, maybe not so much. And all of these various things. And so that's why this fascinates me, because obviously we need leaders and so you are an expert in this industry, predominantly because you have done a ton of research in it. Yeah, well, you know, Deb, it's interesting. Uh, you know, part of what stumbled me into wondering about it so much uh, and writing about it was watching it done so poorly, right. so frequently. Right. Um, you know, with the best of intentions. And it's not like we're short on knowledge on this topic, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Google it, go to Amazon. Right. You, you'll find just a, a complete inundation of information about it. So we, we have way more information about how to do it well than we actually have people doing it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's because it's so much harder right. than people understand it to be. Mm -hmm. uh, the levels of complexity and the messiness of what it means to have to, if we didn't have to lead people, it'd probably be a lot easier. Right. You know, if I could just herd my cats, that would work. <laughs> <laughs> but the reality is um, leadership is not some innate, mysterious genetic quality that some people are born with and some people are not. It is a learned, acquired taste and a learned acquired skill. And um, it's a lot more sacrificial and personally costly than most of the books will ever tell you. Mm -hmm. um, and the broader your influence and leadership reaches, the more sacrificial, the more suffering you're going to do. If you To do it well, it right. costs. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, and we I, leaped right into this and I didn't give your bio. So let's take a step back and let me do the bio very quickly. So Ron Carucci is co-founder and managing partner at Navalent, working with CEOs and executives pursuing transformational change for their organizations, leaders, and industries. He is also best-selling author of eight books. He has a 30-year track record of helping some of the world's most influential executives tackle challenges of strategy, organization, and leadership. From startups to Fortune 10s, turnarounds to new markets and strategies, Overhauling leadership and culture to redesigning for growth, he has worked in more than 25 countries on four continents. In addition to being a regular contributor to Harvard Business Review and Forbes, he has been featured in Fortune, CEO Magazine, Business Insider, MSNBC, Inc., Business Week, Smart Business, and Thought Leaders. 
Ron led, as we were starting to, to discuss, a 10-year longitudinal study on executive transition to find out why more than 50% of leaders fail within their first 18 months of taking on the position and uncovering the four differentiating capabilities that set successful leaders apart. So, okay, now that we've got that out of the way and people know why you're so good at this, now we can jump back into the discussion. That sounds great, Deb. So, you know, you mentioned the fact that being a leader is, is much harder than we actually think it is. And part of that is because when we see a good leader, they make it seem easy. You know, and, and then, of course, when we see bad leaders, oh, there's lots and lots of criticism that, that we can heap on them. But tell us a little bit. First, tell us why you decided that you wanted to do this study. Well, it was personal. So um, uh, I got a phone call from a gentleman. I had worked on a transformational project. <clears throat> we had worked on it in a company and it distinguished himself in many ways, was by all standards seen as a very high potential, a great guy, someone with a long runway who people wanted to follow, you know, great character, great integrity, um, smart as a whip. And uh, throughout the design of the project clearly had set himself apart enough that nobody was surprised when at the end of the transformation, he was offered the chance to take on a broader assignment in the new design of their organization. Mm -hmm. And everybody assumed he'd do great and would you know, go on to have a wonderful career with the organization. And then about 10 months after we had left the organization, I saw his name in my caller ID and thought, oh, gosh, he's calling a check in. Right. Can't wait to him. He's going to let us know how about the great progress he had made and all the things they had accomplished. And um, unfortunately, he was calling to tell me that he'd been fired. Oh no. And that was looking, he was looking for, um, help finding another job. I was shocked. Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't understand how, what could have gone wrong. How could we have misjudged his potential so greatly? Well, I barely had time to catch my breath from that call. And two hours later, the CEO called also to let me know they had let him go. And he was angry. Hmm. And he said, uh, frankly, some of the responsibility is yours for not having better prepared him for the job. And um, you were just like, eek. De de devastated, right? Nobody wants to hear that. Mm -hmm. that <clears throat> and so I said, uh, I, I, my gosh, can can we come back in and sniff around? Can we come back mm -hmm. in and try to find out what could have gone wrong here? Because if I if I'm if I'm responsible, I want to make sure I never repeat this. Right. And so that little investigation led us to a ten year study, mm -hmm. um, because what we discovered was that young. A promising leader was just one more statistic. We've known for 20 years that more than half of people in his very position of being seen as otherwise extraordinarily promising get put into positions where they're taking on bigger jobs and they mm -hmm. fail with, you know, he, he was under a year. Mm -hmm. um, and that we've known it for a long time. And the reality is when you when we discovered in that data just how many landmines organizations put in the way of these leaders, it's a wonder any of them are succeeding. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it was eye-opening. It was sobering, to say the least, to discover that um, we're t the carnage of such otherwise incredibly gifted, promising, um, smart, uh, inspiring young people are having their careers derailed and you know torn apart because they're being put into positions that they're not they're not prepared for, mm -hmm. and no one no one's getting them prepared. I mean, 67% of the people in our study told us that they're organizations gave them no help or support after the job. Right. Job. You're in charge. Now go. <laughs> right. And good luck and call if you have questions. Mm -hmm. So um, just just atrocious findings um, that are so unnecessary. These failures are almost all avoidable. Um, and 
we can do better. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was our, our fundamental premise was surely we can do better. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and you've written a great book. It's called Rising to Power, and you co-authored it with one of your other folks there at, at Navalent. His name is Eric Hansen. And I loved reading it because there were a lot of true real-world examples in it where, you know, it, it you could easily see yourself in those positions or people you had worked with or, you know, even if it was just somebody that you had heard about. And you're right. So many of the, the situations can be fixed or alleviated even from the very start. And one of the big things that, that struck me about the book was, you know, that the, the the premise at the very start that so many of these leaders who are failing are young, you know, mm. we, and, and there's a variety of reasons for that, but they don't have kind of those years of experience under their belt. And maybe that's because those with years of experience are thinking, ain't no way I'm going to lead that company. Um, but so we're thrusting these folks in there and they really don't have the knowledge, the mentors, the emotional stability to be able to, to handle uh, being a leader. And again, it doesn't matter if it's the leader of, you know, the, the big company, the department manager, whatever it is, we're kind of expecting that the, the young wunderkind is going to be able to handle it. And then then we sit back and watch them fail or succeed. And as you mentioned, the majority fail. Well, and, and the reality is we have these really misguided assumptions, right? So if they're a great salesperson, they'll be a great sales leader. Right. If they're a great engineer, they'll be a great technical leader. Mm-hmm. They, 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 in our minds, we sort of bend reality forward and parlay past successes or past talents and assume in our minds, well, that, that must only mean that as they rise up, they'll just get better and like, like somehow some kind of good wine. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's really the truth. Right. Uh, there are far more effective ways to test someone's potential for a future role, but by looking only at their past track record, um, that's a a dangerous set of assumptions, and you actually set them up to fail. Mm -hmm. We even do it in the interviews. Mm -hmm. We say to people in interviews, um, you know, my uh, my gosh, look at these great brands you've built before. That's what we need here. Mm-hmm. Or, gosh, look at the supply chain you've turned around before. That's exactly our problem here. Mm-hmm. Or, my goodness, you've solved all these technical problems and built all these technologies. My gosh, we need those same solutions here. And in saying those things, what we are conveying to these leaders is you have a recipe. You right. have a formula. Mm-hmm. We'd like you to take that formula and apply it here. So you've given them permission to ignore the context mm-hmm. of their to ignore the situations around them or the conditions around them and simply come back in and mindlessly slap on what they've done before mm-hmm. uh, to the environment that they're in. Mm-hmm. But of course, when that begins to not work, they just slap harder and the organization just just begins to back away. Right. Um, and you, 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 in honoring their track record, you are setting them up to fail mm-hmm. by, by, by helping them ignore the reality that they have to adapt as much of themselves to the environment as they have to change in that environment. Mm-hmm. Um, but they come in with this mythical mandate to come in and be the hero and be the savior. And so they believe that's what's required of them. Right. Well, and it's funny because you use the word recipe in there. And my first thought was we expect them to do that recipe with totally different ingredients. <laughs> and and that's in you know whether it's in the same company because maybe you got promoted or in in a different organization we do we think well you you did do it here and so we're going to expect you to do it there and we have different people different resources a different product you know so many differences but well you did it before so why can't you do it now right 
and there must be something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Or we get to that, that infamous statement that makes me crazy when I hear it. Well, they just weren't a good fit. Right. Um, you know, we, we that was a, that's just a code for a poor excuse for we're not going to take responsibility for our part of this failure. Mm-hmm. And when the reality is that, I mean, leadership is not like making a souffle. You know, tough to do, hard to make it not fall in, but okay if you're careful. Um, that's not anything like leadership. Mm-hmm. Leadership is a different recipe, a different set of ingredients, a different process, a different set of conditions every day. And if you're not adaptable and pliable and, and, and thoughtful and observant and self-aware and emotionally resilient and pliable to be able to you know, understand how to, yes, reach back for wisdom from past experiences for sure. Mm-hmm. Reach back. Uh, in your arsenal of of, of frameworks and and, and um, capabilities you built, but know that you're it's a toolkit, right? Mm-hmm. It's just a bag of tools, but every day the configuration of those tools will change based on what's in front of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you if you know you only have is one hammer, everything you see is a nail. Right. And so you have got to recognize that that works if you're a carpenter, but it does not work if you're a leader. Mm-hmm. And um, so many leaders are stumped by the incredible exposure that that kind of daily requirement has on them. They don't realize that their life net is now playing out of a jumbotron. Mm-hmm. I tell new leaders all the time, just pretend with some megaphone strapped to your mouth 24-7. Mm-hmm. Everything you say and do is amplified by a factor you can't calculate, and people are going to misinterpret, misattribute, um, uh, intentionally distort who you are and what you say, and that's just part of the job. Mm-hmm. It's not unusual. It's not wrong. It's not that they're ill-motivated. That's just how leadership works. Mm-hmm. And the further away from you the people you lead are, the more that distortion uh, happens. Right, because and, they don't know the context in, in many cases. And, and, and it's your job to help them learn the context, but mm-hmm. you can only do so much for that. The reality is you will be concocted. There will mm-hmm. be multiple versions of you. Right. And that's often one of the earliest derailers for leaders is they can't take being misunderstood. Mm-hmm. They can't handle being misattributed to. Um, I, have one, I have one client who, you know, in his first six months was so frustrated by how many times people were saying, well, I heard that John said. Well, John said. What? Well, that's what John said. Mm-hmm. Well, well, John said that. And he's like, I never said any right. of it. Right. I'm like, yep. Welcome to leadership. Mm-hmm. This is not abnormal, and your response to it being abnormal is your first your first problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is it fair? Is it just? Is it rational? No. No. It's but just it's, the way it you know, is. Yep. You know, and, and I love that you mentioned having the megaphone because you know not only is there a megaphone, there's also the magnifying glass. You know, we're looking for ways for them to fail, ways for them to succeed. And and unfortunately, in many cases, we're looking for the negatives because we like that. That's sensational. Um, you know, and, and, and it doesn't matter, again, what type of leader they are or, you know, all those various things. We, we kind of love those scandals, right? There's a reason why the National Enquirer has been around for however many years the National Enquirer has been around for. Um, you know, and, and then, of course, you toss in this lovely little thing called social media and... Yeah. Twitter, and we all know what we're thinking when I say Twitter, and we're just not going to go there. <laughs> but, you know, it, it is something that, you know, even if somebody is using all of those platforms well, and not just, you know, and, and, and spouting off anything that, that happens to come to mind, and, you know, let's be honest, that can happen with anybody. Um, it is easy to misinterpret. You know, you're only seeing part of the message. You know, that is the hard part about Twitter is you're, it's short. 
And so you might not realize that there were maybe 10 tweets that were the whole context of what was going on. Um, you know, you can do a little bit more on, on, you know, some of the other platforms, but it, it, it is so easy for people to misinterpret. And even if, if you, you know, aren't meaning to, they are going to misinterpret positive and negatively. Um, you know, and, and so, you know, it's, there's that megaphone, there's that, that, you know, we, we put people on a pedestal and, you know, all these various things. And, you know, it, it's as you say, it's a wonder anybody ever wants to lead anything. Um, you know, I've I've often said, you know, who who really wants to be president, whether it's a company of the or the United States or whatever, who wants to be under that that consistent scrutiny? But of course, there are people who who do, and and we have to have leaders. I mean, you know, we can't have these companies without CEOs and presidents and chairmen of the board and and all those various things. And and to be honest, we can't have small businesses without all these various things too. So. What helps to make a good leader? You know, how do we transition into this, oh my gosh, you know, looking for them to fail as to what can we do to help them succeed? Well, I think there, you know, there, there's, I mean, certainly the preparation is important, right? Mm -hmm. So the first thing I, I want to see organizations doing is if you've got somebody, you've got your eye on somebody you think is going to be ready to take on a broader assignment, you know, what are you doing three years out, two years mm -hmm. out, four right. years out? Um, you know, forget about what you're doing six months out. That's you're too late. Mm -hmm. So certainly there have to be systems in place that are building a pipeline of qualified and prepared, uh, ready, ready to deploy leaders. Mm -hmm. um, but then I, I think that there are you know, in our study, we found that there are we found the good news was that on the other side of the ledger, there were 50 percent who were succeeding, mm -hmm. sticking to landing when they land, landed in their new roles and thriving once right. there. Mm -hmm. And data revealed four remarkably consistent patterns that that set apart those leaders. And no matter how we cut the data up, I sent my uh, research team back and they did 99 different regression analyses on mm -hmm. this data because the problem was that every cut revealed that all four of these patterns were hallmarks of success. And I didn't want to have to say that. Right. <laughs> Can we three out of four? Can mm -hmm. we say two great, one okay, one not? Mm -hmm. And then that any anything less than four got you placed in the failure group. Mm -hmm. So they, they finally said, Ron, enough. It's not going to change. It's four. It's just it's four. A, it, <laughs> it is, it, it's, the, it's all of them, and it is mm -hmm. what it is. Um, the great news was, though, they're not. These were not gene a genetically coded set of, mm -hmm. you know, material. They were all acquired, learnable capabilities. Right. Um, and if you begin acquiring them much earlier in your career, then really you, you will be ready. Mm -hmm. um, so the first one we called context. Okay. So these were the leaders who who could read the environment around them, who could ask questions. They cultivated curiosity. Mm -hmm. They went in not assuming that they had an answer that needed to be imposed, but they had better questions. Mm -hmm. They knew that they, the environment had to change them as much as they had to change in it. They did not mm -hmm. assume that their answer was, you know, down, coming down from the mountain with tablets. Right. They 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 watched trends on the horizon. They watched industry disruptions. They they knew their customer segments. They understood what their customers wanted. They understood how their company made money. Mm -hmm. Most it's astounding how many leaders cannot tell you how their companies make money mm -hmm. uh, or can deconstruct their P&Ls. Um, so these leaders um, were intellectually uh, sponges to learn. They could read the tea leaves around them. They could read the cultural vibes around them and they could interpret them accordingly and they could adapt accordingly. Mm -hmm. The second one we called was breadth. 
These were the leaders that understood that at the higher you go, you don't get the benefit anymore of your functional bias. Right. So if you go up through marketing, you can't see the world through consumers. If you go up through finance, you can't see the world economically. If you go up through operations, you can't see the world through costs or efficiencies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to see the, the organization as a whole. You have to see the world the, the world as, as the pieces fit together. Mm-hmm. And so th- they understood that value in an organization is created at the seams. It's where marketing meets sales and supply chain. It's where supply chain meets marketing and innovation. It's where finance and HR meet um, legal. Mm-hmm. And it's these intersections that indefensible capability that defensible indefensible capabilities exist. Mm-hmm. And so they could stitch the seams. They also know that companies are known for border wars, mm-hmm. that they're that borders are difficult to cross. Right. That silos keep people apart and, mm-hmm. and organizations naturally fragment. They don't mm-hmm. naturally come together. These leaders knew how to create centripetal force. Mm-hmm. They could they could create cohesion. They could bring people together. They could stitch the seams um, rather than staying in their own silo and protecting their own turf. Mm-hmm. Right. Third, I love that they stay in their sea level suite and they never come down. Well, and, the, and then the reality is that the, it becomes rivalry, right? So you mm-hmm. see you see on executive teams this really unhealthy rivalry right. in the sea Sometimes CEOs love it. Sometimes mm-hmm. they actually create oh, yeah. mm-hmm. a very, very Darwinian um, environment mm-hmm. uh, in which they like to see a, a little bit uh, of competition among their team. They don't realize the havoc that's wreaking below them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third one we called choice. So these were the folks that knew how to construct great and hard decisions. They, they were able to say no and make trade-offs. Too many leaders get to positions of power and they are so afraid of disappointing people. They're so afraid of saying no mm-hmm. that they dole out way too many yeses mm-hmm. uh, just to please people. And right. then they dilute, they dilute the resources of the organization. They dilute the focus of the organization and they, and they consume resources at, at, at levels they can't keep up with mm-hmm. and never get much done. But the great choice makers knew whose voices to include, what data to include, how much of their intuition to trust, and could construct great choices that narrowed the focus of the organization on just a few things. They mm-hmm. said they knew how to say yes to even great ideas, so that the great ideas they'd already committed to could actually prevail. Right. And the last one we called connection. So these were the leaders. You know, every company has them. You've seen them. You've talked to them, Deb. These are the leaders that everybody wants to work for. Mm -hmm. They're they're beloved. They're respected. They're kind. You trust them. They're authentic. They're smart. Um, And these leaders had incredible relationships of trust uh, with bosses, with peers, and direct reports Mm -hmm. all around. Um, And one of the key distinguishing factors of those relationships is that they they intentionally prioritized their relationships by those they could help succeed. Mm-hmm. They weren't out to build a network of people who could help them or to, to be on the take to say, who do I need to get things from? Mm-hmm. They were intentionally out to seek to make other people succeed. Mm-hmm. They worked to put people's priorities on their agenda. They worked to invest in people's development and uh, give people opportunities to shine. They were out to make others successful, and mm-hmm. that was the hallmark of their connections. So you can see those four, any one of them is a profound degree of impact. Doing all four of them well is a tall order. Right. Um, you wait till your first assignment as a vice president to start working on them. It's probably not going to go well. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I, I love talking about this because it is, you know, we've, we've all worked for, as I mentioned, good leaders. We've seen good leaders, um, you know, all these various things. And then, of course, as we mentioned, we've seen them spectacularly fail. And like, when you were talking about breadth, one of the things that, that strikes me, and you know, you, you discuss this, is the fact that in many cases, when someone is promoted, or you know, is is appointed, you know, anointed, whatever we want to call it, they don't know 
they don't have expertise across all of the the platforms. You know, so maybe you promoted the the chief marketing officer to the the CEO. Well, he really doesn't know a lot about um, R and D, or um, you know, you you promoted somebody who you know they they just they. They had, you know, they, you mentioned sales. They were fantastic in sales, but they have no knowledge about, say, HR. And, and, and so when they don't have that, then that is where those silos come about. Because then, of course, what happens often is you've got that little thing called favoritism, you know, where, and, and it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it, it's kind of one of those easy things to fall into. Well, I'm, I'm a salesperson, so I'm going to give more money to sales, more favoritism to sales, you know, or, you know, HR, whatever it is, because you know more about it. So you do tend to just kind of accidentally favor it. So, you know, how do you develop leaders that kind of have that cross um, platform, cross company type of, of knowledge? Well, and, and it's a great it's a great question, uh, Deb. I love it. The the answer is do it earlier, right? Mm-hmm. So if you've got a great salesperson, move them, right? Take them out of sales and give them give them an assignment in operations. Mm-hmm. Make them know what it's like to be in operations and be on the other end of salespeople's promises that you have to keep. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've got a great finance person, put him put him in the business to run a P and L. If you've got a great HR person, God bless you, put him anywhere, right? Because uh, mm-hmm. they're rare. Um, if you've got a great scientist in R&D and they actually do have some proclivity to lead, put them mm-hmm. in marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so move them around the organization. Give them exposure to different geographies, different business lines, different customer segments, and different disciplines so that they, they have a greater appreciation. Because what will happen is um, – and we do this in our, in our organization design work when we build seams. We actually do seam startups, and we bring people together at intersections to negotiate. Mm-hmm. How is this relationship going to go? If – at the if at the intersection of sales and marketing, we create great customer loyalty. Great. What is it you do? What is it we do? How are we going to do it together so that customer loyalty prevails? Mm-hmm. And you begin to help them see the greater outcomes, the greater defensible, indefensible capabilities they have to create together, and make them loyal to that. It it changes how they do their job. Mm-hmm. It just make people go take a you know spend a day in the shoes of somebody who has to rely on you in that department and just watch mm-hmm. you do your job differently. Right. And so you can begin to broaden those experiences before you promote that executive, mm-hmm. before you give them a chance at the top. You can, you can break down those those functional biases, right? So even if the sales leader who gets promoted, in your great example, isn't overtly giving resources or money to the sales department, they're going to see the lens. At, at the very least, they're going to see the world through a top-line mm-hmm. revenue view, right? right. They're not going to manage costs and expenses naturally. Mm-hmm. Right? An operations person is going to look at the bottom line and mm-hmm. not worry about top-line growth. Right. So though they, and those are, are much more implicit biases. They may not even be aware they have mm-hmm. um, the best way to break down those biases and those 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 proclivities is to expose them to broader parts of the organization as a routine. And I, I say that word really key as a routine part of how you run your business. Mm-hmm. Move people around. Right. Um, so that it begins to change how they understand the organization works. Mm-hmm. You know, and. And then when that person becomes that leader, that's where it's so important for them to get that good and trusted team because, you know, we don't know everything. And and that is the really hard thing for the leader. They don't want to admit that they don't know everything. And, and especially if they have never been a leader before, you know, and, and so they, they want to know everything. They want to be in charge of everything. And, you know, I, you know, I, I have hated working in organizations where they don't know that little word called delegation. 
know, they yep. do think that they have to do everything themselves. They can't, you know, let anybody else even help out. Or it's it's a sign of weakness, you know, or, or there are obviously the people, and, and I'll be honest, I fall into this myself. Well, I'm the only one who can do it right. You know, and, and when I finally grasp the fact that maybe somebody does it different, but that's okay, you know, as long as it gets done, it gets done. Um, you know, and, and but... Yeah, so building that team is what is so critical. And, and unfortunately with leaders, sometimes it means cleaning house or getting rid of the most popular people or all of those things. And that's that's really hard for a leader to do. Well, you know, leaders, I mean, we, we've, we've conditioned them to believe that they have to be the answer ATM. Right. right. That your job is to have answers, not questions. Mm-hmm. We've also conditioned them to, to believe that they have to be indispensable. Mm-hmm. The way to become indispensable is to not let go. So that's why one of the reasons why you see so many leaders rise up and take the jobs that they were doing with them. Right. And, and they struggled to take on the job mm-hmm. they were given. Yeah, they're still the chief marketing officer or whatever. And, and it's because, and of course, the excuse that you point out is, well, you know, they're not ready to take on right. what mm-hmm. I was doing. So and, I'm going to try. And I know how to do it best. And then, and and the re- if you dig up, dig up underneath it deeply, the real issue is they're not doing it like me. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, and and I'll be honest, that is me. You know, I when I have led projects, led teams, there are times where I really have thought, but they're they're doing it different. You know, and, and that's not right. Well, no. <laughs> it was just different. And it, and it's really okay. Mm-hmm. Most leaders don't understand that that's actually okay. Right. And sometimes and, it was better. Holy schmoly. Right. And 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 actually the answer was better. Mm-hmm. Um, so so leaders have to be trained and conditioned to know how to let go, mm-hmm. how to how to um, be gratified by the job they've gotten, not by the job they used to do, mm-hmm. um, because you know they were so good at it. Mm-hmm. And now you have to be learned to be gratified by a very different set of outcomes and a much more ambiguous set of outcomes and a, and a set of outcomes that takes longer to get. Mm-hmm. It's a different time horizon, and that's a that's often tough to acclimate that the, that your that your sense of contribution is now changed. Mm-hmm. What gratifies you? And what makes you feel satisfied and you know um, uh, gratified by your seeing your impact in the world is going to have to change, mm-hmm. and that's difficult for leaders. Right. Um, and the other thing that's hard is that we we know today that leaders start distrusted, mm-hmm. right? We, you know, right. We, yeah. We, well, they the got national, the job because the National Enquirer may be print fiction, but the reality is we've seen plenty of real scandals about mm-hmm. leaders who are abusive and harmful and self-interested, um, and so. We go into leadership relationships already being distrusted by the people we lead. And so we feel like to earn their trust, you know, um, we have to look smart, be right, be credible. And we think we think that credibility is earned on the wrong terms. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we actually further erode credibility by going about trying to earn it in ways that doesn't. Mm-hmm. Right. The reality is that it's your humanity. It's your imperfection. It's your it's your vulnerability. Mm-hmm. That actually will make you most credible, and that's the very thing leaders try and hide right. is their flaws. Right, because uh, they think that that it's counterintuitive. You you have to be perfect, um, and you mention that in your book. Leaders so many times think, well, I have to I have to be absolutely perfect, and you know, and, and the examples that you use in the book were people who were thinking, well, you know, I can't have these character flaws, or it I they will be used against me. Right, people. Somebody will actually come after me and um, cause me to stumble and mm-hmm. um, want to see me you know, fail. And you know what? That's, yeah, that is, sometimes that is true, mm-hmm. but, but that's not a reason to hide, right? right? Hiding is the most dangerous place you can have because once you hide, you're isolated. Mm-hmm. And now you're not building the support of the organization and they don't know you and they're less likely to trust you. Right. Well, and when you hide, one of the things that happens is communication stops. 
And, right. you know, we all, you know, we, we've all heard, you know, that, that, you know, we, we love or we hate a vacuum. And so when there isn't information there, then we make it up. Yeah, um, and- you know, and, and, you know, I, I was with an organization one time where we knew that they were going through some big mergers and some big acquisitions. And they just weren't ready to tell us what was going on because, I mean, there there were a variety of reasons, not the least of which they were publicly traded companies and, you know, all sorts of legal things. Plus, they just wanted to make sure that their ducks were in a row. Well, unfortunately, people were doing the, oh, my gosh, you know, because they haven't told us anything. It means this is going to be shut down or, you know, he doesn't know because he's going to be fired, you know, and, and that that lack of communication, everybody just made everything up and and it was almost always incorrect. Oh, oh absolutely. People, people, uh, people catastrophize so brilliantly. Right. And their ability to indulge in like wild degrees of fiction is, mm-hmm. is, is endless. And leaders just often can't believe it. Right. But, but it, it, the reality is if you're not going to be honest and straightforward with them and trust them that they can handle, even they can handle bad news, mm-hmm. um, teaching them that we don't talk about bad news around here by withholding the information only reinforces that they're not going to bring you bad news later right. when you, when you need to hear it. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can certainly tell them, we can't tell you what's happening right now because of X, but right. as soon as we can, we will. And then people are like, oh, okay. They weren't hiding anything from us. They just couldn't tell us yet. Right. And it's um it's a you know the, the, but leaders are so afraid of that kind of honesty mm-hmm. that they think that spinning it in some form uh, is a better deal, which of course is just assuming people are stupid mm-hmm. and they see it. And the reality is that um, you know you're just you're just draining and hemorrhaging what critical capability credibility you have, and that you will definitely need later when you actually have to tell them the bad news. Mm-hmm. Right. And 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 then they don't trust anything you say, you know, and, and that is unfortunately what we see happen is, you know, that the, they we lose respect. We don't believe them. You know, we're like, yeah, yeah, right. Whatever. You know, you're just telling us that to make sure that we finish out the work week or, or whatever it is. Right. And, you know, and, and and did they did. They lost all credibility. And sometimes it was not by their own making. Well, sure, and, and and the reality is now now you're going to get blamed for things that aren't your responsibility. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, one of the one of the surprising findings in our study, uh, Deb, was you know we assumed when we we isolated the issue of power mm-hmm. you know, and how it is leaders use power, we would assume we would find the bad apples, you right. know, the people who abuse power for self interest mm-hmm. or self indulgence, the people who are um, have moral failures or ethical failures. And certainly that batch of leaders was there. Mm-hmm. That was not the greatest abuse of power. In our data, what surprised us was the greatest abuse of power was the abandonment of it. Hmm. Was people was leaders too afraid to use the power that came with their role for being seen as a failure, for for being seen as a power monger, that they simply chose not to use it at all Mm -hmm. Um, and not understand the the great good they could do with the power that comes with their role or their influence or their network. Mm -hmm. And so they froze. Right. Um, And that, you know, there are far more of those leaders and people don't leaders to understand that. Um, we, we think that the abuses of power, the manipulative, coercive use of information, the blackmail, the I scratch my back, use, the, the politicking, the you know in, in the extreme uses of misuse of resources for self-interest. We we think of that as the National Enquirer headline material, mm-hmm. as scandal. And we think of the other side of the ledger, the abandonment of power for self-protection as, oh, that's just a skill gap. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a a quirky character flaw. So yeah, they, ha- they should probably grow a spine a little more. And we excuse that side, both of them, 
are abuses of power. Right. And it's um, funny because when we think of the word power, in a lot of we crinkle our nose and we think, ew, power. I mean, you know, and, and as I was reading, I was thinking, you know, the, the, the old phrase, absolute power correct, cor- corrupts absolutely. You know, and, and that corrupt is that word in there. Um, you know, and, and it, it doesn't have to be that way. In, in fact, leader, the opportunity for leaders to, to, to do great, extraordinary good in their organizations with the power they have, it, it's, it's unimaginable. Mm-hmm. But that's not where they begin. They begin right. with a sense of fear for, oh, my gosh, what if I misuse this power or what if I'm seen as misusing this power? Or now in the days of all kinds of behind closed door scandals um, coming out of the woodwork, um, you're just, just, you know, now we're having all this backlash if men will men are refusing to mentor women. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Uh, oh, yeah. The which, whole Me Too thing. And, and, and we're not making light of that because obviously that is a very serious situation. But, yeah, they're thinking we can't. One of the things I saw is when companies are sending people to travel, when they used to send a man and a woman, now they're only sending one. And in many cases, it's only the man. Um, right. but, but, you know, but whether they're sending the women, you know, whatever, they're only sending one. And so you're losing that opportunity to mentor, to do all of those various things. And it's unfortunate because mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, sure, it's, it's a very serious situation. But now we're so we're so afraid and, and defend and defending ourselves against it from even the appearance of it that we're mm-hmm. not trying, right. right? So you have all kinds of people who are who are playing severe defense with their power mm-hmm. that, uh, and we we excuse that far more than we excuse the overt abuses mm-hmm. of power, and we shouldn't. Right. We should, should see them as equally equally destructive to an organization. Mm-hmm. The reality is. If we had more leaders, more comfortable using the power for great good, we would have fewer leaders who are okay with abusing it. But the fact of the matter is, the reason that leaders indulge power for self-interest is because they know there's a, they can get away with it. They know mm-hmm. that they're be stopped because there are so few leaders who will stand up to them. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and, and one of the things that, especially a new leader, it, it goes through is the well, I can't make the hard decision because they won't like me. You know, and, and that's really hard, especially when you were, you know, part of that team and now you're the leader. And, you know, whether it's department manager, CEO, whatever it is, when you're the boss, you can't, it is very different. And that's hard. I mean, you know, sometimes you have some long standing friendships and relationships with people. And, you know, to have to tell them no, I mean, you mentioned that earlier. That's really hard. And so then you're right. We waffle, you know, or we pass the buck or, you know, all these various things and then nothing gets done or worse. It, you know, something catastrophic happens. One of the got one of the people we found in our study um, in, in our interviews that had a boss that they nicknamed the waffle. Mm-hmm. And they used, they used to actually play a game called last one in because mm-hmm. yeah, they knew that whoever, you know, when they got to the meeting and the decision was already made, they knew by whoever got their way that had been the last one into his office. Right. Right. And it's a it's a when leaders don't even know they're being manipulated mm-hmm. that way. They're just purchasing loyalty. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm purchasing loyalty for by giving you your way. And that purchase loyalty is just a mutual contract of manipulation. Right. Right. We've we, the unspoken collusion that says I'll give you my public regard and loyalty and affection. You give me what I want. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, you know, that's that's never going to sustain itself well at mm-hmm. some point is going to right. be a catastrophe uh and it's you know but but what's so interesting to me deb is how often leaders you know of, of extreme of, of, of a significant experience not just new newer newly minted leaders will tell me no one ever told me before right no Nobody one ever, ever told me it would be this hard 
Or no one ever told me that was the case. Or no one ever mm-hmm. told me I should do it this way. Or no one ever explained how power works to me. Mm-hmm. Or no one ever explained how to build relationships in an organization. Mm-hmm. No one ever told me how to tolerate politics. Mm-hmm. It's astounding to me that things you think are that basic um, uh, are in fact not. Right. And you have so many leaders not being helped, uh, being put into situations where they're now facing these higher tides of pressures and um, relational dynamics mm-hmm. and hard choices and trade-offs and higher risk decisions with little preparation for what to do in those situations. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and one of the things that your study found, and, and it's, it's, it's the flip side of it, it's those who are successful have those trusting relationships, those, those people that they know they can rely on. Um, and, and in your book, it was interesting because you, you had this uh, case study-ish type of, of thing. It was your, your example that goes throughout the whole thing of the, the person who became a CEO because there was a catastrophe. Um, he, you know, he was kind of the, the one that they had been preparing for it, but you know, really it happened much faster than planned and all those various things. And one of his most trusted advisors was his executive assistant, admin, you know, whatever we want to call that person. And to me, I just love that. I thought that was great that that she was kind of that that person who was almost the the I hate to say mother figure, but she was the one who would tell him, "Now wait a minute, mm. you know, hey, you know, what about this, or why are you doing it this way?" And you know, and, and leaders, it's hard for them to find those people. Maybe they're outside the company. I mean, you know, because you know, speaking of like a mentor or somebody like that, but but it is you know. If you can't, if you can't trust the people that you that work for you, then then you have nothing, um, you know. And and they might not respect you and all these, you know. Very, well, actually, they better respect you too. But you need to have those trusting relationships, or you're not going to be successful. Because it comes back to what we were saying before. It goes to the silos. It goes to the backbiting. It goes to the, you know, he only did it this way because type of, of statements. You know, if you're a leader of a company of three employees or 10 employees or, you know, however many people are in your life, if you haven't got a set of eyes on you, we're, we're as human beings, we're just bad observers of our own reality, right? Mm-hmm. We're not going to see objectively. Mm-hmm. And to see ourselves in context, we're not going to, we, you know, we, we can assume our good intentions are having the impact we want them to have. We can right. assume that, but, but we, which we should never do. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't got a set of people around you who are going to tell you the truth, hard though it might be to hear, give you ideas, give you hard feedback, you know, be a sounding board for you, let you vent mm-hmm. when you're frustrated. Um, I, whenever I work with a CEO or someone in a, in a very high position, my first question to them is tell me the name of your trainer, tell me the name of your nutritionist, and tell me the name of your therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll be the fourth, I'll be your executive coach, and we're going to be a team. Right. Um, and you've got to have, a, you know, a, a way to care for your mind, body, and heart, and soul mm-hmm. um, as you lead, or you're going to, it's going to kill you. Right. And so, um, you know, even the smallest of business owners should have a way to calibrate their mm-hmm. decision, a way to calibrate the impact of their behavior on others, a way to know how others are experiencing them. Um, in an, or their business or their or their services mm-hmm. so that there's a feedback loop and you can adjust and accommodate. But so many leaders don't. They right. assume that my intentions and my impact are consistent and I'm a good guy. And so why would you ever assume otherwise or why would you why would you ever think I would mean that? But but the reality is that, you know, when you have authority and power over somebody else or um, you don't know what's happening in their heads. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have one, one client I'm working with who um, he 
you know, I'm the I'm now the fourth coach uh, they've had with him, and I'm like, well, you need to fire him. It's too late. Mm-hmm. You right. don't do the efforts. Mm-hmm. But but he's a a brilliant technical leader. He brings great things to the company's future, and they don't want to get rid of him. They want mm-hmm. to try it again. So they want to fix him. What would you talk to him? And I said, oh, okay, okay. Um, and so I, in my course of my investigation, what I found, you know, what, what the major symptom was that he was he's a mean, blustery, angry you know, insensitive guy, but he has one relationship with one direct report where he has unusual levels of contempt mm-hmm. for her. Um, and, um, you know, you know, so um, and as I'm hearing the stories, it's really horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, well, this is obviously transference. Obviously mm-hmm. she's triggering him in some way that she represents something in his life and his story right. that keeps coming up. And, mm-hmm this was the first anybody had ever raised that issue. And of course, as we dug up the, we found out who, and we found out what trigger she mm-hmm. represented and what he, she, she was raising in him and why he was defined the way he was. But no one had ever in three other coaches, nobody had ever raised the issue that this was not just him waking up in the morning, deciding I'm going to try and be as abusive as I can to my team mm-hmm. and this person, that there was some other force at play. Right. Uh, but, and so, you know, Enter little old me to say, well, gosh, I think what's going on here is this. Mm-hmm. Um, can we go down that rabbit hole and and check it out a little bit and to uncover the fact that there were much deeper issues there? And and now they have they can go about fixing the relationship, and he can be much more mindful of the narratives that have to be reset in his head. Um, but yeah, and it's really important work. But how many leaders are going about their days with carnage and a wake of bodies behind them because nobody is helping them calibrate? what's triggering them, what's eliciting mm-hmm. certain behaviors. And we, we, we all have, we all have tapes in our head where we say to ourselves, I, I'm going to stop doing that. Why do I keep doing that? Mm-hmm. Um, and then or, that other voice is because you're an idiot because you're stupid. Right. And we, we, we self degrade ourselves or, mm-hmm. or I thought I, I thought I'd stop that. You know, well there, you know, uh, when you ask yourself, why do I keep doing that? There's a reason, right? It's not, it's not some random occurrence. Mm-hmm. There are patterns, there are narratives underneath that are narrating your the world around you and telling you that, that that's the behavioral choice you should make mm-hmm. even if it's out of your control right. it's in your limbic it's in the limbic part of your brain where you don't get to always control that stuff and so if no one's helping you sort through that material um you're going to just keep doing it mm-hmm. and keep leaving carnage behind you and at some point somebody will hand you the invoice okay it's now cost you your career mm-hmm. right. uh, and uh, it's so unfortunate. It's so avoidable. Mm-hmm. I've seen so many entrepreneurs who start businesses who are not prepared to scale and grow them because they don't know the questions to ask. Mm-hmm. And they just think grit and determination and the sheer force of their will uh, is going to prevail. And of course, all they do is wreak havoc. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when they get somebody's money in their hands and they go from 10 people to 100 people, it's just more havoc. Mm-hmm. But they haven't learned to scale and prepare the businesses they're growing because they haven't calibrated themselves. They just had a good idea. Right. You know, and it comes back to that thought process that I'm the leader. I have to be alone. You know, I'm I'm the, the king, the queen. You know, I sit up on that throne by myself. Um, you know, and, and, and it's especially hard for people like me, entrepreneurs, small business owners, because, you know, we, we don't have that. And, and, you know, I have a couple of my, my close business associates who are the people who will say, you screwed up. and I might not want to hear it. I mean, we don't want to hear that, but I trust them and I know that they're doing it in a way not to hurt me, 
but to help me. And that's very hard, especially when you, you are, you know, a, a leader of something that's bigger and bigger to find those trusted people that, that can tell you that. And sometimes it's a spouse. Um, you know, sometimes it is your executive assistant, your vice president, your, your, your business coach, your trainer, your therapist, whoever it is. But we do, we need those people who give us kind of that reality check maybe is the, the easiest way to put it. And, and, you know, often leaders don't know who to ask. They join right. small business network, networking things. Mm-hmm. So they, they'll, they'll Google coach, which is a dangerous mm-hmm. thing to do. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but but until somebody crosses your path that you trust, that can be a, a trusted advisor and a confidant to you, until you, unless you've had the experience of being vulnerable with somebody else with where you're uncertain, where you feel insecure, mm-hmm. where the tapes in your head are, are you know, pointing a finger at your inadequacies, how you how you contend with self-doubt mm-hmm. by, and, you know, or, or how you become aware of overcompensating with overconfidence to cover up your self-doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, how you make assumptions about your product and service that you're going to scale, whether you have data from the marketplace or not. How you think about your organization and, and you know, not just hiring in your own image, but mm-hmm. hiring talented people who are more talented than you. How, how to grow and scale this baby you created. Unless someone's helping you with that, you just think it's a recipe and or dumb luck or, you know, one Instagram influencer too many. Uh, and you don't really prepare yourself to be uh, a small business or entrepreneurial growth person mm-hmm. to business or to be an executive in a c-suite right you know and and we see those people they go with we you know maybe it's called the flavor of the month you know they read this great article in forbes so that's how they're going to do it and then oh they saw this great post on facebook so that's how they're going to do it um you know and and what that comes back to is they're not great decision makers which is you know obviously a, a skill that a good leader has to have they have to be great decision makers. Um, you know, the worst thing is to just, you know, I mean, it'd be, you know, the, the parents that let the kids decide what they're going to have for dinner. Well, they're going to not have good food. Um, you know? And so, you know, you, you have to be that guidance. Now, you know, in some cases, it does have to be this is the way it's going to happen. You know, and there are times where it just has to be that way. But then, of course, the great decision makers also know, you know, I used that word before, to delegate. You know, and, and but they're making those decisions. And often I'm just hoping for dumb luck, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or based on a level it'll, of... It'll work itself out. Yeah. Uh, you know, excessive optimism will mm-hmm. win the day. Or if we just stay positive and focused, it'll all work out. And they, mm-hmm. they look at other entrepreneurial stories and they, you know, they don't read... The, they, they read the outcome of the story of, you know, the person who started the business in the garage and then they now have a 4,000 square foot warehouse. And, and they think they don't understand, you know, the very carefully well thought out work that went behind that. And so they think they'll just be lucky. And, you know, if they can do it, I can do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so they they ju- they dive into the deep end of the pool without the swimmies on mm-hmm. and don't don't want to be told they're drowning. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so sad because it could have been that the idea actually was a good idea right. or it could have been that the people they assembled around them could have gotten the job done. Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't do the careful work, the hard work uh, and the grit and the mm-hmm. determination along with it um, and make the hard choices or make the choices that make them aware of who they are and who they're not and mm-hmm. accept the limitations um, that allow them to see more objectively, mm-hmm. to see the future more honestly and uh, get the resources, the money, the capital, the time, uh, the, the customers that would, would be required to actually achieve the success they want. I was on a call the other day with a small business owner, young guy, smart, you know, obviously very, he's endearing. Um, he's shutting down one business and, and said his goal in the next two years was to start for, start for, for more businesses. 
And these four books couldn't have been further apart in there, any commonality. And then I'm going to put them on one LLC and it's going to be fun. And I'm going to be, spend more time with my family. And I mean, the level of naivety mm-hmm. or, or arrogance or obtusion, I'm not sure what I would attribute it to, but, but he was going to go do it, you mm-hmm. know, and this was not some pipe dream. He was actually, you know, I'm part of me is thinking is he never Steve Jobs, maybe his maniacal, um, you know, pathologies here are going to rule a day and he'll, he'll be right. and He'll do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to have, I'm going to have offices in every state, um, I'm thinking, my gosh, this is nuts. Right. But I wonder how many young people who want to walk away from corporate America, they don't want to work for the man. They want to you know, be their master, their own destiny. They're going to start their own thing, be an mm-hmm. entrepreneur, be a solopreneur. And they think this is just how it works. I get enough money and capital and stay with it long enough mm-hmm. and I can scale any business. And uh, it's it, it's terrifying to me that we're you know as much as we're not helping leaders in the C-suite, we're we're equally not helping the entrepreneurs mm-hmm. who are the future backbone of our economy. Mm-hmm. You know, and and there does have to be a leader. You know, that was one of the things that I was thinking about as you were talking about this. Is you know we we do want to please, we want to do all these things. Um, I worked for a company one time that we went through several big mergers and acquisitions, you know, same same company I was mentioning before. And for a period of time, we had co-CEOs. <laughs> yeah, I knew you'd like that one. And I mean, it was, it was, a, obviously it did not work. You know, somebody has to be in charge. And, you know, why they had done that, who knows? I mean, you know, our thought, and, you know, as, as the little minions in the ranks was they just wanted to see who was going to come out ahead. And, you know, and, and that may be it. But, I mean, it was like we had mom and we had dad. And if mom told us no, then we went to dad. Yep. And and then, of course, you had the people who'd always worked for the one side, and they didn't want to talk to the guy on the other side. And then those people didn't want to talk to our guy. And, I mean, it was just one of these things that it it, it – it didn't work, obviously. Um, yeah. You know, so we can delegate, we can have our teams, but it, th- there has to be that one person. You know, it's it's the the old buck stops here type of thing. Well, you 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 just have to sit back and wonder who made the decision to place two leaders in charge of a company, right? Um, as if it would work. Mm-hmm. As if it could ever be anything but a disaster. But mm-hmm. people, boards of directors, people sit in rooms and mm-hmm. make this stuff up as they go. Um, and and people, I think. They assume that being the buck stopper um, can often misguidedly mean making all the decisions, mm-hmm. or that you're accountable for all the results, or that you know any any failure you get blamed for. Um, the reality is that it's your job to make sure others are successful. It's your mm-hmm. job to set up an organization where decision rights are distributed to the right places, right. where governance processes are in place so that information can move and just, mm-hmm. and authority and priorities can be set and you design your organization. That's the one source of competitive advantage you as an ultimate leader have is how you configure your organization, mm-hmm. how you set people up to deliver your best work uh, and your most promising results to your, your most loyal customers, right? right? It's, it's basic business one-on-one, mm-hmm. not for you to make sure everything goes your way, that all the decisions are approved by you, that you sign all the checks and everybody does everything the way you would do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, too often people confuse you know, pinnacle levels of leadership, the top leadership jobs in a function or a company or a division as that level of responsibility. Would that it would be that easy. Mm-hmm. But the reality is your job is to set the organization up and set people up to be successful and to make sure that you're you're the conductor. The conductor in an orchestra doesn't make a sound. Right. right? But his yeah. job is to make sure the music sounds perfect. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't play an instrument, he doesn't make a sound. Uh, and if you're used to playing first chair violin, getting on that podium is going to be awful hard. Mm-hmm. 
Right. I love that analogy. And you know, and, and that's a perfect way to end this because, oh my gosh, we have been talking about this now for almost an hour. And clearly it is fascinating. I mean, I, I really do enjoy talking about this and, and you know, thinking about, <coughs> excuse me, the good leaders, the bad leaders, how I can be a better leader. Um, you know, and, and so part of that is by reading your book, which is again called Rising to Power. It can be found on all the better outlets, um, you know, obviously on Amazon. But, you know, very briefly, because the one thing we didn't get to talk about is what your company, Navalent, does. Yeah, so we spend our days traipsing the hallway with leaders, uh, talk, you know, working on all the things we've been talking about, you know, strategic issues, organizational issues, leadership challenges, and helping them, you know, transform from the place they are to the place they aspire to be. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a, obviously a very privileged work. You, you know, your listeners can come find us at Navalent, N-A-V-A-L-E-N-T dot com. Mm -hmm. We've got a free ebook on leading transformation organizations, so you can see our playbook for how do we do this at Navalent dot com slash transformation. We've got a, a great quarterly magazine you can subscribe to for free um, and, to, and read about all of our thoughts on these topics uh, every quarter. Um, and you find me on Twitter at, at Ron Carucci, where I'm posting all of my Forbes and HBR articles and tweeting lots of other people's great material, too. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to keep the conversation going with your listeners as they continue to think about their own leadership journeys. Great. You know, and, and again, this isn't just for the CEOs of the big multinational corporations. You know, it's the head of the volunteer committee. It's the, you know, the, the department head, the, the small business owner, you know, we, the, you know, the leader of your chamber, your business association, all those various things. It, you know, it, it, it is, you know, it's, it's important. And, and now there are people who don't want to be leaders. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> you know, but you know, really, if you want to be a leader or are a leader, you know, maybe you're struggling you know, connect with Ron, read his book, because it is, you know, I'm, it's going to be enlightening because you're going to sit there and think, oh, that's why, you know, I'm, I can't be friends with everybody, you know, or, you know, all these various things. So you know, even if you think you're a successful leader, I promise when you go through this, you're going to find ways to be even better. Yep. And I, I hope your leaders will join the conversation. Listeners will join us in the conversation, and we can help them find ways to be the better versions of themselves, mm -hmm. whether they're leading one, leading a family, or you know, leading a nation. Right. You know. So, do you have any last words of advice? We've got about a minute. Uh, you know, the the one thing my mentor once told me a long time ago. She's still my mentor, uh, but she said nothing is irrevocable except death. Um, so remember that you get do-overs. Don't, don't hang back. Don't be afraid of your power. Don't be afraid of influence. Don't be afraid of how to find your voice. Um, you, you may skin your knees, but if you're leading other people, you're leading a family, or you're, or you're teaching in a classroom, and you have levels of influence, you can do great good with that influence and uh, try. Mm -hmm. Try. If it doesn't go well, try again. But um, you are in a position where you can impact the lives of – you can change the world for somebody. Mm -hmm. uh, you should. Right. Well, Ron, this really has been absolutely fascinating, and I hope to have you on as a guest again. I love it when I have repeat guests, so you'll be more than happy to have you on again. But until then, I'm Deb Creer. I've been having a great time talking with Ron Carucci. And until next time, everyone have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us next time for more real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. You've been listening to C-Suite Radio. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.